podcast you've been looking for all along. Step into the life of urban exploration with guests from around the world. Welcome to No Tracers. Welcome back to No Tracers. My name is K, just the letter K. I am known as No.Tracers on Instagram or No Tracers on TikTok. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. This podcast is all about urban exploration, and this week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Vincent, otherwise known as Lost Americana. This guy is known for his abandoned farm photography, and I wanted to get him on the podcast to share his stories, his insights. He actually shoots on film, so I wanted to have him come talk about why he loves film so much and uh, why he likes to print out these photos and what he does with those prints. He's also looking to start a book. So hopefully after this podcast, you know, you guys will reach out to him and, and show some interest in that book and support him in that way. Before we get into the podcast, there's a few housekeeping things I want to let you know about. The first of which being, I actually have my own book called No Tracers, An Urban Explorer's Diary. And if you want to get a copy of that and support my artwork, you can do so at notracers.com slash shop. If you guys want to see my photos, read my blog, you can either go to No Tracers on Instagram or notracers.com and you can read the blog. If you want to see some of Lost Americana's photos while we are talking, I've actually made a YouTube version of this podcast. It's up on the Just the Letter K YouTube channel. Uh, and if you want to watch this instead of listen to it, you can see his photos as well and videos. So just head over to the Just the Letter K YouTube channel and subscribe today and check that out. These episodes come out every Friday. So if you're new to the podcast, if it's your first time listening, or if you're not already, please hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode comes out, which like I said, is every single Friday at about 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're a veteran listener, please do me a huge favor and leave a rating and feedback on this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find a broader audience. And I'm sure before you gave this podcast a listen, you scrolled down to the bottom of the page and you read the feedback that we got from other listeners. It really does help the podcast grow, especially on the Apple Podcast charts. So because there's only a few urban exploration podcasts, let's see if we can get to the top of that that uh, category and uh, hold our ranking there. Thank you guys for listening and giving us five stars. We appreciate it. We being me and all my guests. The last thing I need to let you know about is that we have a partner on this podcast and that is liquid death water. I'm actually drinking some right now. I am murdering my thirst. Their motto is murder your thirst. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's water, but it's a very metal, if you will. So if you guys have never heard of Liquid Death Water, don't you worry. I've got an ad coming for you in three, two, one. From the streams of the Austrian Alps comes a new kind of water. A water that is sure to raise you from your grave. If you're tired of buying cases of plastic water bottles that contain carcinogens and God knows what else, or if you're trying to lower your waste footprint, Liquid Death comes in beautifully rugged aluminum cans. Murder your thirst with a can of Liquid Death. Check the link in the description and use code just the letter K at checkout for 10% off your order. Liquid Death. Murder your thirst. 
So if you want to support me or if you want to support what Liquid Death is doing, go to liquiddeath.com and use code just the letter K for 10% off your order. That could be one case of water. It could be 20 cases of water. I see you guys ordering 20 cases of water. That's absolutely incredible. I do get a commission based off of how much water you buy. So if you guys do want 10% off, use that code or hit the direct link in the description. It will automatically apply that affiliate code for you when you click that link so you can automatically get your discount applied. Thank you, Liquid Death, for partnering with No Tracers and my other podcast project, Freelance, which is all about freelancing. If you guys are interested in that, definitely check that out. But without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Lost Americana. Please introduce yourself and how long you've been exploring to the No Tracers audience. My name is Vincent Johnson. Uh, I am a full-time photojournalist and filmmaker in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and I am probably most known for... uh, and why I'm here is for my Lost Americana documentary project. So tell me what got you into exploring in the first place? What made you catch this bug? You know, I think it's just, in general, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, everybody likes to explore to a certain extent, or at least I think, you know, most people do. There's, there's an excitement to it. Um, mine, I think, maybe like a lot of people started off accidentally. Uh, I was just in a photography elective class. At a local junior college, was driving around looking for interesting things to shoot. And I think just about anybody who ever picked up a camera knows that, you know, photographing people is usually not where you start. So you try to find things that are still and not moving. And uh, I mean, what is more not moving than a barn that has been vacant for like, you know, a decade or two? Um, took a couple of shots, you know, didn't think too much of it, but uh, and then went away to... Uh, college for uh, photojournalism when I actually decided that photography was going to be a major that I wanted to do. And this was back in the mid nineties. Um, so all film boys and girls, <laughs> dirty, dirty chemicals. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was going off and, and lost Americana kind of started once again, completely by accident. I was doing a project. I wanted to do a project on uh, something called the Illinois and Michigan canal here in Illinois. And I was trying to find like relics of it, uh, you know, just like what's left over. And quite frankly, there's there's nothing. It's just a big ditch filled with like swampy water and like, you know, overgrown weeds. So it didn't lend itself very photographically. Uh, the greens and the browns didn't really make it for a color photography class. And uh, so I'm about like uh, 70 miles outside of Chicago now driving back to the city kind of dejected and just started shooting barns. I took side roads home, just kind of slow boated. It was just, you know, like, well, I got some film rolls. I'm going to, going to waste here before I get back to uh, the city. And I really liked some of the stuff that I was shooting. A lot of people liked what I was shooting and I just kind of kept doing it. And it, it turned into uh, one, you know, it was a color photography project that turned into a photojournalism documentary project that turned into my uh, senior seminar project. It's uh as, as I was joking earlier before we got on, it's the longest senior seminar uh, class project ever now, uh, going on 26 years. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. So can you talk to me a little bit more about shooting on film, sh- capturing these almost time capsules on film? Uh, a lot of explorers are digital shooters just because of the, either their age or it's easier or their preference, but... Cheaper. <laughs> che- yeah, a lot cheaper for sure. Um, but can you tell me like what you love about film that, that makes you shoot with that? 
Yeah, okay. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I think the first thing was, is that's why I started. Um, so, you know, obviously back when I was shooting up until 2004, uh, film was, that was it. If I wanted to take photos of stuff, I was, I was shooting out on film. And then when I got my first digital camera, they were still, they were good. I mean, if you wanted to make an eight by 10 with, I think my first can, my, my first was a Canon 20 D and then I got like a 30 D and, you know, they were all right for like an eight by 10, maybe an 11 by 14, but you know, the quality wasn't there. And I, you know, I had a really good film scanner. I was still shooting 35 millimeter, uh, the, the film camera that I still have to this day was, you know, it was the last great film camera that Canon ever made, uh, for all you gearheads out there. It was a, uh, the one N RS, um, uh, and the RS stood for rapid shoot cause it would go through 10 frames a second of film. So you could burn through a whole roll in like three and a half seconds if you were really crazy about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, you know, from there I just, I kept shooting film along with a digital because I, I felt, you know, at that point, like film was still, a better quality than digital. And then I had also, while I was in college, had an, what we call a large format camera um, right. that shoots uh, four by five film. And all my teachers and the professors, I mean, I, I had, I, some of my professors were Pulitzer Prize winners. I mean, like really prestigious people. And they're like, yeah, we love what you're doing. You need to have this not on 35. I mean, even 35 wasn't good enough for them. They're like, you need medium format. But honestly, you need to go four by five film. And so, you know, I used the four by five camera while I was at college, uh, but, you know, they made me give it back after. <laughs> so I uh, you couldn't loan that out of the studio anymore and had to buy my own. And I did that probably about uh, seven years after I graduated. And uh, so I still shoot four by five film now, uh, slide film too, which is probably the hardest out of all the films to shoot, the, the latitude on it is, is about a stop and a half. So if you don't get it right, it's, it's overexposed or it's underexposed, but when you nail it, um, which luckily after, you know, 25 years of practice, I've, I've finally gotten to the point where I do that on a regular basis. Uh, you know, it looks beautiful and, you know, I, I still, it's, you know, my, one picture I take with four by five, I love telling people this, uh, digitally comes out to about two and a half to three gigabytes of frame. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, when you zoom in on it, I, I, I love Instagram because it's, it's really, it's how a lot of people have found my work. Um, but at the same point, like you really need to blow it up on the side of a wall, like a mural, because that's, there's so much detail in them. And I mean, just even the process of like clicking the shutter, it, you know, it's about $5 for each sheet of film. And then it's another $5 to get it processed. So I always joke, like every time I click the shutter, it's $10. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And I love seeing large format printed, you know, it, it looks absolutely stunning. So for you, are you like putting where are you putting your artwork? Like, are you printing it out and selling it? Like what, what do you do with all these large format prints? Oh, I'm i uh, I'm a perpetual hoarder. Um, <laughs> That's, that's, they're all here. Uh, I've, I've got prints still that I've printed up by hand back in like you know, the late nineties. Uh, but you know, I do sell some work online. I have a couple of galleries. I don't up them, update them nearly as much. I, you know, there's a part of me that feels like, I, I don't know. I love printed, you know, I love seeing them printed and I love people buying them, but I, I don't feel like people kind of appreciate the printed 
form as much anymore. So mm. it's not something I, I overly pursue. I, I make sure that it's there because there are people who still love it and I absolutely want them to have it if they do. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I mean, I have a gallery up. It's, you can get prints. I, 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 everything goes through a lab, unfortunately, now because printing up color slides, uh, yeah, that they, they don't do that process anymore. It used to be called Cibachrome, uh, and it ended around 2005 was like when the last Cibachrome print was ever made. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, you can't print directly from a, uh, a slide to a piece of paper anymore. So everything, you know, is done digitally, but you know, I send it to a really nice lab, um, and I get them, you know, glossy and then everything comes to me and I expect it, you know, put the little signature on there, do all that fun stuff that artists do. I've had a couple of gallery shows. Um, I probably need to pursue it a little more, but you know, it's, uh, you know, life, wife, kids, uh, full-time, you know, you know, trying to make money with the, uh, the actual photo jobs as opposed to making money with this. So it's, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it too. Absolutely. And since we're talking about, you know, photography gear, what other gear do you use when you're out exploring? For example, a tripod or a pair of shoes you prefer, a backpack or anything like that? Oh God, what don't I use? Uh, (laughs) So let's see. uh, Usually there's a drone with me. Uh, Then I have a 4K 4K dedicated um, Sony uh, like camera, like, you know, video camera um because i do you know beyond just taking like abandoned photos uh this you know i have a journalism background so there's a there's a documentary aspect to this where i'm interviewing people so i never know when that's going to happen so on top of that i've got the zoom microphone i've got lavalier mics in case i need to like randomly mic somebody up for uh you know on the spot interview um, I typically only bring out two 35 millimeter bodies, sometimes three, if I'm bringing out the film one, but they're all Canon, uh, just makes it easier with the interchangeable lenses right. between all of them. So, um, currently I'm all 5d. I got a 5d Mark two and a 5d Mark four. Um, those are my two main bodies. And then, uh, you know, the old Canon one N, uh, let's see what else. Then there's the, uh, the four by five film camera is an Omega view, um, I want to say it's mid to early seventies model, uh, with a couple of different lenses. So the lenses, you know, they're kind of interchangeable. You just, you get the plates so of the body's Omega view, but the lenses, I want to say maybe one's a Toyo. I can't, eh, can't remember. I'll, uh, I'll post it up later, I guess. Perfect. <laughs> and then yeah, tripods, you know, I've just got a, I got a really nice Manfrotto. Um, I've got some, some really nice like video mono or video uh, tripod that I bought for the video camera from B and H, not a name brand, but it's, it's rock solid uh, backpacks. You know, I've got, um, Oh God, this is going to kill me that I cannot remember the name and I'm looking right at it now. It's a really, I, I want to say it's think tank, but I know it's not a think tank bag. And then, yeah. Um, I mean, I, Trying to think what else I got down down the list. Shoes. Uh, I got a really nice pair of LL Bean shoes when I was up in Maine from like three years ago that are amazing. Uh, and yeah, that, that's about it. Um, you know, I could go into the vehicles because some of the vehicles. Yeah, <laughs> I've always yeah. had a truck for the most part. Yeah. Uh, I started doing this with a, with an old Toyota like pickup truck, like King Cab before they even started calling okay. them Tacomas. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that took me all over the place. Um you know, and then uh, I had a Ford Explorer, which was not my favorite. It's it's more of a it's more of a city SUV. Um, I think my all time favorite though was the one that I, I sadly just got rid of February of last year, which was I had a Nissan Xterra, 
with the off-road package, which, I mean, that thing went over the top of the Rocky Mountains on uh, a a rock path. I mean, it was insane the places that this truck could get me. And now I'm just uh, driving a, you know, Subaru Forester that uh, I I purposely got uh, a four-inch lift on when I bought it. So I was Mm. like, I, I need ground clearance. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's kind of like my gear kit, and then uh, anything that keeps my two kids entertained when I'm bringing them out with me, because you know, sadly, they have to uh, travel along with me on a lot of these because you know can't leave them home when my wife is working full time. For sure, absolutely, and I think it's cool that you're you know we've had some guests on this podcast talk about how their their parents got them into exploring. So are your kids like getting this this little bug for either travel or exploring as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, just just the places that I that I take them, the, their teachers will tell me like some of the stories they're telling them. Like, it's funny they don't talk to me about it. Uh, <laughs> they're eleven and seven right now, but like, apparently they tell everybody else about it. So it's not like, Dad, it's so cool that you're taking us <laughs> to these places. It's like, usually the whole ride is they're in the backseat going, "I'm so bored. I'm, can you turn your Wi-Fi on?" So. <laughs> Like we're in the middle of Nebraska. There's no Wi-Fi. I'm like, there's an R on my thing. It stands for roaming. I'm like, that's how far away from everything we are. Like you're just deal with it. But yeah, um, it was. I'll tell you what one of the, one of the neat things was, and that that I love about doing this is we. Um, did you watch the Super Bowl by chance over the you know last weekend? I, I watched parts of it. I'm not a big football fan. I'm more into UFC personally. What? This is more about the commercials. Oh, so you okay, don't have got to you, got you. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, the the Jeep Springsteen commercial that has now been pulled because apparently Springsteen got a DUI and <laughs> you know they caught a lot of flack about it. Um, but it they went to the middle of Kansas and more specifically they went to the middle of the lower 48. It's this geographic area that is kind of precisely like where if you were to go from like all four corners this would be the middle mm-hmm. and. We were just there in September, and then for them to do this cheap commercial with Springsteen that's, you know, like a minute long, and it, it just highlights this place, and I'm sitting there like, boys, boys, look, like, where is this place? And like, oh, my God, we were there. We were there. And, you know, it I just, that's that's what makes it. And as far as, like, my family, yeah, my dad was a big road tripper. And it was funny. I just talked to somebody about this last night, and I go, I don't know if maybe it was that he was, you know, my mom used to, we used to do road trips with my mom too, but they were more like we were traveling to get somewhere. So it was, it wasn't mm. so much a road trip as is like flying was too expensive. Right. Right. <laughs> so, but my dad, yeah, we would, we would go everywhere. You know, I mean, we'd take these epic trips to the East coast and then we'd take this one where we went South to like, you know, Alabama and then cut across like interstate 10 all the way to San Antonio yeah. to visit, you know, my grandfather. And you know, those were excellent. And it's, it's sad. I'm kind of that, uh, divorced kid kind of thing where, you know, my dad and mom split up at 10 and my dad really kind of left, left. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, how I feel like I missed out on a, on a good decade worth of road trips because of that divorce, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. But like I said, I think it's super cool that you're, you're bringing your kids along and kind of getting them into this. I think, it would be cool in like if I'm still doing this podcast in I don't know five six years to get one of them on and talk about like how how they came up in like the urban exploration world like that's so fascinating oh, yeah. to me. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I'll, I'll I'll gladly hit me up. I'll be like I'll put the oldest one in five or six years. He'll be see so turns twelve now, so yeah, he'll be seventeen. He'll be able to tell you exactly how bored he's been. I'm sure. Awesome, awesome. So, do you have any urban exploration injury stories that you can share? 
No, I am pretty rock solid. Like I've been hit by a car, fallen off of a roof, never broke a bone. I will knock on wood for that one right now and hope that it lasts. And, you know, this is going on 47 years now. Um, you know, I, I, I blame it, you know, on rugby and drinking a lot of milk. Like, I, I mean, I played rugby for like eight years and never got injured there either. So I did almost get bit by a rattlesnake two years ago, um, but I have a good vertical. So I was able to kind of jump. He, I basically stepped right on him and he was right underneath Woo. me. And I, I, I leaped about like three feet up in the air and went backwards with two cameras on me too. But so yeah, that's about the closest I've come to really getting injured. I don't, I will say this, I, part of it might have to do with the fact that I don't do as much interior exploration, mm -hmm. eh, exploration as I used to. I, you know, number one, you know, I got two kids with me most of the time. So like, I don't want them like being stuck out in the middle of nowhere while I'm injured or possibly dead. And I'm not super fascinated with some of the interiors that I find. Um, also not to mention, I, I don't like walking in on random stray animals and, <laughs> you know, so it's, there's a bit of, you know, I, I've never really been onto the, you know, exploring of like giant abandoned places. So like, as far as like an old steel mill or like brewery, you know, I've never gone into a big place. There's been some places in Gary, Indiana that I've gone. Yeah. Like, Cause most of what I do is rural stuff. But, you know, it's uh, it's it's a bug that, uh, you know, you go from Rurex to Urbex. So, you know, being in Chicago and being this close to, you know, uh, a plethora of ab abandoned places, it's, you know, tempting to go into them every now and again. So I do. But, yeah, no, I've I've lucked out. I've not been injured, never stepped on a nail even. Wow. I mean, worst thing that ever happened was I overheated my truck one time in North Dakota. <laughs> and I was so, I mean, I was like, I was so far off the road. Somebody had given me directions to this, what they called the gem farm, because it was like this just absolute beautiful little pristine farm that had been empty since like the fifties. Wow. And it was like over a hill. And like, I mean, I was driving through grass that was up to the top of my like windshield and that was when I was in the, the Explorer, which, you know, that thing sat like 10 inches, 12 inches off the ground already. So, uh, or at least that was a ground clearance on it. It was probably, it was a big truck, but yeah. And, and so I left, uh, I left it running cause the, the kid was young at the time. I think he was like two. So it was summer. I had the air conditioner on and it overheated and died. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh man. Yeah, so that was that was one of the scarier moments. But yeah, so the, the car almost got injured. But yeah, no accidents, no injuries, Good. you know, you know, poop filled uh, car seat maybe once or twice, <laughs> uh, you know, a few years back that that happens. You're not paying attention out, you know, shooting some stuff and the baby poops. But, you know, we're all good now. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I know you do a lot of exteriors and stuff. How do you first of all, how do you find these places? Is it word of mouth? Like, are you doing research online? How do you how do you find these spots? So, yeah, it's all of the above. And then, you know, just luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I've always I, I'm a lover of maps. I will you know, I, I can go down a rabbit hole and be on Google Maps for like two hours accidentally. <laughs> And same thing with like atlases. I mean, I was the kid who when National Geographic came, like I'd rip it open and like pull out the map, like nice. forget reading the stories. Like, and that's kind of, it's funny. National Geographic is the reason why I love maps and the reason why I wanted to be a photographer. It's, mm -hmm. it's why I got into photography. And yeah, so the, you know, just finding a map uh, back in the day, long before Google Maps and GPS and cell phones, it was literally, I've got atlases 
you know, in my, uh, in a filing cabinet here in my, my home office that used to have, that have the pen marks from where I would draw my paths, um, wow. you know, and the directions that I went. And what I would look for is places that didn't have a lot of cities. I would go to the in-between areas, um, the farther away from interstates I could get the better. Nowadays I've kind of use census data to find those places. But then I have like a crazy Excel spreadsheet that tells me like population losses by like every decade from like 1900 up. So I can kind of graph and see like which place lost 40% of its population, which county lost 40% of its population in like the last, you know, 30 years. And I'll know to go there and then I'll look at the region and so that's kind of what I do. And then that's where I get some of my documentary stuff too. And then people all the time, people will, you know, give me stuff. And I have some friends that I follow or people that I call my friends now that I'll follow. And I'll be like, oh my God, that is the most epic looking place ever. If it's still standing, like, please like throw me the GPS <laughs> yes. coordinates. I need to go. And, and it's so funny. I have a book. My Google maps is just one big bookmark thing like if you open it up you won't see the map of the u.s you'll just see just all these dots. little bookmarks if there's, yeah just dots so you know you got to turn a couple of those off to actually see your zoom in a little bit um yeah so i mean and then you know like i said i just one of my favorite tricks and anybody who's listening here you're getting a bonus material here i don't tell that to this many people especially out west when you find a town and you will see like roads in the middle of town that are kind of diagonal um and then they kind of go out. And if you follow it with a satellite view on, you will see that there's almost like a line and it looks kind of like an imaginary line in the dirt, but it's, it's really there. And that's the old train tracks. Towns that used to have a train track started to die. And that's kind of, you know, they, the, another one somewhere else became the feeder point for bringing all the cattle or bringing all the grain. So when those train tracks got ripped up, towns started to die. When those train tracks got ripped up also, though, they connected the other towns along that line and they all kind of went the same way. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to see these towns, like follow those train track lines through the fields. I mean, it's amazing. Like they've been 40, 50 years, those tracks have been pulled up and you could still see farm fields that are kind of, you know, scarred from where the track bed was. Wow. And you follow those and you will find interesting things in the towns along the, you know, there's... You'll, you'll find like grain elevators standing out in the middle of nowhere that like, here's where the town used to be. And this is the only thing left because they, you know, they built those grain elevators like uh, in, insanely tough. They're literally like two by fours or like four by fours, like stacked sideways on top of each other. They're, they're nuts. Um, but yeah, so that, that's a good trick. Look for, look for the old train tracks when you're looking for like small town, you know, that have seen some, some better days. You want some abandoned main streets. Yeah find a place that used to have train tracks running through it and go there. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then can you tell me about your scariest exploration? <laughs> <laughs> so this is funny. There's, 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 there's one that I think is the, it definitely has the best story. And then there's one that really scared the hell out of me, but nothing really ever happened. So the, the one that I think is probably the most story worthy is uh, there is a uh, town used to be called Ardell. Uh, it's in Kansas, uh, just outside of Dodge City. And there's two grain elevators, actually. The grain elevator that is kind of like the logo for Lost Americana is, that's Ardell. Uh, you have a four by five camera. People tend to pull over. It takes me about a good 10 to 15 minutes to compose and like do a shot when I'm, you know, working with that large format. 
And somebody pulled over and started talking to me like they normally do. Like, oh, that's interesting. What do you got there? You know, they see you with the bag over your head like you're some old time, you know, photographer in a Wild West show. And so the story goes that this place, apparently two people have died in this grain elevator. And it wasn't like some accident. Like there were hitchhikers or transients that were kind of traveling up and down uh, route 56. I think it's like 5056 is the route that goes right along this thing. And they decided to one of them just was, I guess, kind of done with life and, you know, committed suicide in there. Uh, and the other one was traveling in winter, probably much like the winter that we're going through now. And he, uh, he froze to death overnight. So that, that place that's on the cover of my photo and the logo on Instagram and everywhere else, that's, you know, that's probably one of the most haunted places I've ever shot, uh, that I know of. Uh, the scariest place I was ever at was actually the Pueblo, kind of the the Indian cliff dwellings that they have down there, right, I want to say in Colorado, like Southern Colorado, right before you get to New Mexico. And uh, I went to go there one night and they had closed. I, I didn't know it was closed. Like, you know, you couldn't get back to it. So the park is still open. You could drive around in there, but you can't get kind of too close to the actual dwellings. And it just had a really creepy feeling the whole time I was there. Like the sun is just going down. It's really windy mountainous area kind of driving back through there. And it's like a 10 mile drive. And so the minute I got to the very end and couldn't, you know, go in to see him, I'm like, okay, well, I got to turn around. I got to go find a hotel. It's getting dark. It starts snowing. And I just had this creepy vibe. Like something didn't want me to leave that place alive. And I know it sounds really awkward and especially, you know, like I'm not a big supernatural believer. I mean, I'm an atheist even. So it's like, like all that stuff is kind of out the window, but whatever it was, I'm leaving this place and it just went to not even a whiteout condition, you know, like I could still see far ahead of me, but enough snow had fallen that like you couldn't tell where the road stopped and where the like cliff began. So it was, you know, it was really kind of creepy. And there was a point where I had to kind of like pull over in this like tunnel area that like went through a cliff and just kind of take a little breather because I was having like an anxiety attack. And, you know, I'm from Chicago, so it's not like I'm not used to snow. (laughs) I mean, and this is only like maybe like three or four inches too, but it was just, there was a creepy thing going on that night. And I was very happy to get out of that park alive. So that's the creepiest place. Oh, wow. I love hearing like the creepy stories and like the the They're quote fun. unquote paranormal stories. Some some explorers are super into that stuff. Some of them are like, oh, yeah. ghosts don't exist. Nope, nope, nope. You know what I mean? But it's always interesting to hear about those experiences. And personally for me, uh, there's a place here in California called the Downey Insane Asylum. I've talked about it extensively on this uh-huh. podcast. And uh, now I got to go back and look for that. Oh, man, it's crazy. Uh, so it's it's supposedly extremely haunted and uh there you know you know how asylums used to be back in the day you know there's all these horror stories like uh, i remember hearing a story about the downey insane asylum where the swat team was like training there one day and opened up a freezer and there were like body parts in the freezer so i mean like just imagine the kind of stories that come out of these asylums that people explore it's it's absolutely madness I'm getting the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. And it's funny. One of my first jobs out of high school was working with mentally handicapped adults. And um, there were some longtime kind of staff members there that had worked back in some of those places in like the 50s. And, you know, the stories that they would say about like, you don't even like what was going on in some of these places was just so wrong. Oh, yeah. And they're, you know, like 
I have nightmares just thinking about the stories they tell me and like they saw them firsthand. I have mm-hmm. no idea how they managed to get through these. So yeah, um, sane asylums are one of those places I'm definitely bringing a friend. Oh, for sure. Never, never go alone to an asylum. That's just a, a disaster. Yeah, that sounds happen. like a, it sounds like a bad, uh, like that's the horror movie. Like you die first when you do that. Just so you know. 100%, 100%. You're the beginning of the movie where it cuts and like the friend, our friend disappeared in the insane asylum. Yep. Like whatever could have happened. He went there alone. That's what happened. Oh, He's stupid. He's so- Don't try to go f- save him now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So since we're talking about, you know, history of places, uh, do you have a favorite history of a place you've explored? You know, I don't have a favorite history so much. I have places that I have fallen in love with. Um, You know, there's everybody's got their little place that I think, uh, you know, if you do this long enough, I mean, I, I was just telling somebody I'm about. I'm two states away from being done with visiting all of the lower 48. I, oh, the and, lower, okay, uh, lower 48. I was like, all 50 it, or damn? All, yeah, no, no, not all 50. I've not driven to Hawaii yet. Um, <laughs> I'm working on that one. But it's hard to drive I heard there. the bridge. I heard the bridge is very long and you might fall asleep on it. So. <laughs> True. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've missed Washington and Oregon, which was supposed mm-hmm. to happen last year. But, you know, COVID happened last year. So that, right. that went down the tube. But places that I love, Manchester, Kansas was... Um, by far, it was my first love, my first heartbreak. Uh, I first went there in 08 and my jaw dropped. I, I'll never forget pulling up this street. Um, and it was like early in the, actually, no, it was, it was, I went back the next day. It was one of the few places I, I stayed around just specifically to go to it again. It was that awesome. Um, and it wasn't more than like, you know, four or five buildings on a main street, but they were just breathtaking. I mean, I pulled up at the stop sign. I kind of like looked left, looked right, and, you know, actually looked right, looked left. And then when I looked left, I saw this. It looked like a set from a movie for like Deadwood or something like that. I mean, it was straight out of the Wild West. And I, I remember not even fully pressing the brake on my truck. And I just kind of rolled through the intersection <laughs> as my jaw was was physically hitting the steering wheel. Like, what? Um and, you know, it was a beautiful place. I mean, this old, you know, opera house that was, wow. you know, slash general store now. And these other little small buildings that were off to it. And it was a, you know, brick sidewalk with a clay dirt road. Main Street was literally still a dirt road in 2008. Wow. And so, yeah, I, I stayed there and photographed it. Stopped back again in 2014 and was was able to get a great, there's a photo uh, on the About Me page uh, on Lost Americana or the About page on there. And it's got a picture of me and my two boys in front of the old store. And sadly, I think 2016, there was an earthquake in the area and the building had already been kind of deteriorating and it, it took the whole thing down. And I think the the biggest thing that really kind of hurts me and it's this, I wrote a really great piece on my website about it, where it's just this kind of nostalgia is this literally is like Greek meaning for the pain of home, like this longing that you have for your home and places you can't go back to Mm. is that, uh, when I was there in 2014, I talked to a local and he said, well, yeah, he's like the guy sold them all that owned, he this old guy owned all of main street and was just kind of like, he was like retiring to retiring, you know, like you get that age when you hit like 65 and you retire. And then you get to that age when you're like 75 or 80, where you're just like, Oh yeah, I'm selling everything now yeah. because I'm almost really dead this right. time. <laughs> right. And so he put them up for an auction and, you know, some schmo in New Jersey bought all of main street, like each building for like $800. Wow. And I was like, 
I'm sorry, what? Like, wow. like I would have, I would have paid three times that. Yeah. Like I was getting ready to like drop 10 grand to buy this one building, let alone like all of main street. And so this thing where like, not only did I, I miss this opportunity for like the one place that I really thought was one of the most beautiful little towns untouched to like, just, you know, it was basically kind of an abandoned main street. Wow. And yeah, so I missed my opportunity to buy it. And then I, I no longer have the opportunity to photograph it anymore. And it just, so that, that hurts. Yeah. That's absolutely heartbreaking, man. I hate to hear that, but I mean, I love that you got to at least see it once, you know, and, and experience it. Yeah. I'm happy that I have, you know, it's one of my favorite pictures ever. And, you know, it was like that before the place came down. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm glad. And that's kind of the reason why I do this. You know, I keep telling everybody, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, go out and do this. Like, I don't care if you, I was talking to a guy on Twitter. I got a lot of farmers that follow me on Twitter. Photographers follow me on Instagram. Farmers follow me on Twitter. And one of these guys, he's talking about how he keeps seeing this. I was posting up photos of silos a couple of weeks back. And he's like, oh yeah, there's this one that's leaning on. I see it like every day on my way to work. And I'm like, take a picture of it, man. Like you got yeah. to, you got to photograph it just, just to prove that it was there. I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't be everywhere, <laughs> especially with kids. Like yeah. I really can't be. So uh, another great place is, uh, and I, I think I'm going to butcher the name, but I want to say it's Gormania, West Virginia. And they, it has this really kind of main street vibe to it. And unfortunately I was there in like the dead of night. And so I took this like kind of long exposure and used like the cars that were driving down the highway, you know, or the route, not even a highway, it's just like a two lane street right in front of it. And it's like right there before I think you get to the, the Maryland border. Uh, but just this cool little old mining town that there's nothing left, but you could see that at some point when the mines were really going, it had this, you know, great little main street and it's just sitting all there untouched, empty, you know, that, that wonderful, uh, gray wood that's been chipped away from all its paint and just sitting there fading in its glory. But yeah, that's another good one I could think of right off the bat. Wow. And besides uh, Washington and Oregon, do you have any bucket list items, like bucket list places that you want to go? This can be either U.S. or international. You know, Canada. There, I, I have a couple of people that I follow in Canada, and damn it all if they don't make me jealous with their <laughs> grain elevators that they have up there in Alberta and Saskatchewan. I mean, they're just... Cause you know, th- that whole plains area, I don't know if you've ever been out to like Nebraska and the Dakotas. Um, there's no trees out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of trees now, but it's because the Europeans that came out there, Eastern settlers planted trees, but like there, there was no trees. And, and Alberta and Saskatchewan are, are still kind of like that. It's just nothing but like flat fields as far as, yeah, I mean, they're a little bit of rolling, you know, it's not completely flat, but, and then they just have these giant grain elevators in the middle of nowhere where the town used to be. And they're like, I don't want to say they're everywhere because each, you know, each year I see like a couple more of them came down, burned down, you know, but yeah. So Canada, just over the border there into Canada is where I want to go up into Alberta and and photograph those grain elevators and some of that. I keep joking that I'm going to call it like lost Canadiana. (laughs) That's awesome. I gotta, I gotta go grab that website really quick before this podcast goes live. (laughs) It's probably like, $10. $10. Get it. Just get it. Just get mm-hmm. it. Just do it. <laughs> just, I'll just camp on it. Yeah. yeah just camp no on problem. it. It's fine. Uh, and then if you could live in one place you've explored for one week, which place would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Because, you know, like I was saying, like, honestly, there's a, I, I'm, 
I've been working on doing this uh, post where I'm going to like the town that I would live in, in, in each one of your States, like pick a town in like every state and be like, yeah, this place I visited and I'd love to live there. Oh, if I could live in one for a week. Oh yeah. That's one I oh, God, I wish you would have like sent that to me in advance. I mean, Manchester obviously would have been the easy go to, right. um, you know, let's see. I mean, you know, that's a really tricky question. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer to that. That's okay. Um, no worries. You know, it'd be, I'll tell you right now. It's it would, if it was going to be anywhere, it would probably be in Nebraska. I am a, I'm a big fan of Nebraska ever since I've been there. I, the, the first time I went through, I was so surprised because everybody talks about it being flat and like highways and corn and you actually get off of I-80 and go north into that state and there's rolling sand dunes and these sand hills and there's these bluff like butte mountains out in the, the west and there's river valleys in the east and it's just Nebraska's awesome people like get to Nebraska like once in your life and just drive like so yeah I, I'd probably it would be somewhere in the middle of Nebraska love it love it and then uh, my final question for you is what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started exploring Oh, wow. That, um, you know, honestly, I, I think the biggest thing is that I, and it wasn't so much when I started exploring, I guess, but I've been wanting to do a book. And it was always uh, when I first started doing this back in like college, like I said, when I really got serious about it, somewhere around like 97, 98, I had a 10 year plan and I wanted to get a book published. And, um, you know, obviously in the nineties, getting a book published doesn't sound as ridiculous as it does now. Cause you know, <laughs> it seems like books are almost dying, but I think the thing that's held me back for at least like the last decade is I always felt like I needed to have this critical mass of people that followed me or were on my email list. And like, I kept wanting to get somewhere, but never had a set number. I just knew that I wanted to have more. Cause I didn't want to just put a book out and have like a couple of, you know, like, Oh, here's 200 copies that I made. And it was mostly like friends and family. And I think now knowing that like, there was a lot of time that I wasted and I could, I already had like two or three books that were maybe a smaller run, but got me kind of that the beginning of the kind of publicity to get me more people so that, mm -hmm. you know, this, this work that I'm doing can be seen by more people. I mean, the part of the reason why most of what I do is, labeled or branded as lost Americana is because I, I never really wanted the story to be about me. And I mean, if you go and read, especially on the Instagram post, I wax intellectual about all sorts of issues in rural America and with, you know, leaving places. I do a lot of writing for a, a publication called uh, the American conservative. They have a, uh, a section called the new herbs, which is kind of, I think it's short for like new urban, but where we, where I talk a lot about like, you know, population decline in rural areas and some of the things that are affecting a lot of these, these towns throughout America. And so it's, you know, that, that's what it is. I think just one of the things that I've learned is like, just don't sit on something, like just go out and do it. And, you know, don't, you know, don't try to wait around for it to go viral. Like just mm -hmm. put something out there. I think best thing I ever heard, I was, I was doing a college graduation. I was photographing it. And the, the keynote speaker said, done is better than perfect. Wow. So I think that's, that's my lesson there done, you know, get something done. Doesn't matter if it's perfect. Doesn't matter if it's got the perfect audience, just get it done. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking from experience, like I have a book out called No Tracers and Urban Explorer's Diary, and it's my first photography book. And it's not perfect, but I did it. I sold a couple copies. I self-published because I initially got hit up by a company nice. that wanted to take like a huge percentage from me to publish my book. And I was like, do they, do they want to give you 8% only so, something? Your... It was like six or 8%. I, and I, I know like, that company nah. and yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, <laughs> we can talk about them after the podcast, sure, yeah. but yeah. So they hit me up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. Like I have all the photos. Yeah. I have all the stories. So like, why not just make my own book? So Absolutely. You know, if if you ever need any advice on doing that or who to publish, like self-publish with, just let me know. I would love to help you go in the right direction. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's, uh, I've, you know, I had, I have a lot of friends that have, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, it's funny. I, and this is part of the back, going back to the done is better than perfect. Um, part of my issue is I have friends that have won Pulitzers already. So like, oh, yeah. that's my thing. Like I, I leave the house in the morning to like go out on a photo shoot and I'm like, I got to try to be better than so-and-so. And you know, mm -hmm. this person, because like they won a Pulitzer. And so it's like, and these are, you know, the buddies that I'm talking to. So it's great. Like when they're like, Oh my God, Vince, that was an awesome picture. And I'm like, that means so much to me, even though, you know, yeah, we're, we're friends. It's still, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice feeling, but yeah, at the same point, like I, kind of measure myself by them. And sometimes I, I forget that the majority of the people that are going to be buying a book or buying a photo didn't win a Pulitzer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I need to stop living up to the, that expectation and just make the people that, you know, I mean, like I said, I think I'm up to like 16,000 people on Instagram. The Facebook's not that much, but you know, clearly I don't think there's that many Pulitzer winners in there. I know there's a couple, <laughs> True, but you know, yeah. So, you know, just get on, publish a book for, for the people, I guess, instead of, you know, publishing it. And this goes back to like the displaying stuff in like galleries. It's mm -hmm. like trying to make way into like the gallery space and like that art crowd is, it's really hard. Yeah. And, and this will probably not get me into any galleries, but like there's a little bit of a snobbery that goes on with it. True. So, you know, and it's that whole trying to be perfect for what they want, but, you know, it is what it is. So I'm just, yeah, this, my goal for this year is, is get it done, uh, get that book done. And if it's, if it's gotta be self-published, I, I got a couple of publishers that I'm kind of pitching stuff to right now. Got a couple of, little bit of feedback. So I'm crossing my fingers that, you know, I don't have to self-publish, but at the same point, like if I do, I'm not, you know, I've gotten over that stigma about it. I, you know, I think, especially nowadays, I've seen so many people do it and do it well. And mm -hmm. then be like, I did a published book through a publisher, and I made way more money when I actually self-published. Yeah. And, you know, it's not about the money, but like when it comes down to like certain things that you worry about, you're like, am I going to go broke if I do this? Right. Like, no, you won't. Like you'll cover. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my so my five year goal is to create a museum about urban exploration. And I want to put these like, you know how some people will take things from abandoned places like I want to have yeah. them donate these artifacts and like have people donate their prints and give their prints. And you, I, I just it's a huge goal of mine. So I would love to have a lost Americana section in, in a museum one day. I think it would be super cool. Hell yeah. I, I, I like that idea. You, you let me know when you're doing that. I, uh, I, I try not to take things that often, but I will say occasionally there are things that, you know, are, you know, when you've got a building that's falling apart, some of it just lying there in the mm -hmm. dirt, you know, off to the side. So, uh, yeah, I, I might have a piece. I've actually been thinking about framing some of my photos, 
around some of these pieces. But Oh, cool. Love that. So if people want to continue to follow your journey, if they want to pick up a photo print, uh, where can they find you online? What's the best place? Drop your social media, your website, all that good stuff. I am a branding maven. So everything, if you go to Instagram, you go to Twitter, everything is just slash lost Americana. Uh, you know, no space, just lost Americana and you will find me. Um, even better, you could just go to lostamericana.com and there is a link to each one of the socials that I have. And if you're really clever, you could even find that I'm on some socials that I don't list there, but I just went and grabbed them because I'm like, oh, this is new. So anybody have a Clubhouse invite they want to give me so I can make sure that Lost Americana gets picked up on Clubhouse by me and not by somebody, somebody else. That'd be great too. But yeah. Nice. Sweet K, you're the best. All right, guys, that was my episode with Lost Americana. That was one of the best episodes that I've done. We talked about so much, and he shared so many of his incredible stories. And I love that he takes his kids with him on these trips. Like, that's one of the coolest aspects of what he does as a photographer and as an adventurer and explorer is that he he's bringing his kids up in this world of urban exploration, and I think that's super cool. If you enjoyed this episode of the No Tracers podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and feedback at the bottom of the No Tracers podcast page on Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, I will actually give you a signed photo print for free from an abandoned place that I have explored. If you guys are new to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button. And if you are a veteran listener, please share this podcast with somebody or a few people. Share it on your social media. I would love to get more people to listen to this show. And if you want to be on the No Tracers podcast, please just shoot me a DM either on Instagram at no.tracers or on TikTok at No Tracers, and we will schedule a time for you to come on No Tracers and share your stories. I would love to do these twice a week this year. And uh, with your help, we can make that happen. If you guys know someone that should be on the podcast, please share this podcast with them and uh, have them reach out to me so that we can get them on the show. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next Friday for another episode of the No Tracers podcast. Stay strong, keep enduring, go out, go explore something, and remember, leave no trace. 